Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I just saw the latest numbers on the percentage of kids age 5 to 11 that are fully vaccinated. We'll have that for you in just a second. And I, I just think you should keep that number in the back of your mind whenever you hear any news stories about vaccines for kids. Because COVID be- cases down 64% over the past two weeks. 64%. You're being misled. Well, I don't know if it intentionally or not, but you're being misled in the news coverage of the vaccine for kids. No doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, I, I read, I hear so many stories every day about uh, masks on kids, masks in schools, the rest of it. And the, the journalist who actually includes in the story the risk or lack thereof to children from the COVID is a rarity, folks. That's a rare diamond in a field of coal who will even bring into the story the very idea of does it matter anyway to kids and their health, which is an oversight so astonishing, it can't be an oversight. My my brother got the COVID, said he was pretty sick the other day. For one day, he was really sick, same as what happened to me. He said, I can't imagine what it would have been like if I wasn't vaccinated. So yeah. we're we believe it exists. I know it exists. I we're believe we're still losing. We're losing two thousand people a day still in the U.S. Though deaths are down about thirteen percent. I believe it kills lots of people, usually older people with health problems. But uh, but it ain't dangerous for kids. It just isn't. Yeah. Yep. Interestingly, though, and this is a sweet, sweet vengeance. Maybe more polling organizations. Um, uh, from Axios to Politico to this is from the dispatch are talking about the absolute electoral ticking time bomb that is resentment over the uh, arbitrariness, hypocrisy, inconsistency, uh, stupidity of so many of the COVID measures. And this is a great example of the sort of thing you don't realize your point of view is so widely held until people go to the polls and they start voting. A great example, the Virginia race, uh, Glenn Youngkin, uh, Terry McAuliffe, which was to a huge extent about should the kids be in school or should the kids not be in school? Who's with the teachers union? Who's with the students? And that uh, that that uh, election shocked the American media elite. But um, everybody agrees. And then the that, three school board members getting booted in San Francisco. Great example. Great example with the lefty mayor saying these people are lunatics. They are. Yeah, yeah. So Chris Steyerwalt uh, has an interesting piece in the dispatch, and he talks about the concept, and we've talked about this a lot through the years, uh, how much more useful to a politician an issue is than a solution. And and he uses a couple of examples, including the great classic example, the border, immigration. If you solve the problem, you can run on it once, maybe twice. You can say, remember that back six years ago when I solved that? Wasn't that great? Maybe you can run twice. If you intentionally fail to solve the issue, you can run on it over and over and over again. You can fundraise on it over and over and over again. It's just an undeniable truth of politics, and the more of people who recognize that, the smarter our politics will become. I don't think you. I don't think it has a tail near as long as uh, as you do. I think like if you were pro gay marriage, the moment gay marriage became legal, you get that's over. It doesn't make any difference anymore. 
Yeah, I was trying to be generous. I was probably stretching it. You're right. Um, and so Starwalt Mega wants to make it clear in the way that you must these days. In fact, we just did it, kind of. He says, look, I get it. Families of nearly a million Americans who died with or from COVID uh, should not be expected to have detached views on the subject. The millions more have been seriously ill. For others who have had serious health problems and spent years in fear of contracting the virus, vigilance has become a way of life. So he grants that. But for the Democratic Party as a whole, coronavirus response has become a serious liability. After two years in which masks, sanitizers, distancing, and closures became powerful shibboleths for the American left, meaning symbols that really are just symbols. They don't do anything. There's no need for them. I've, I've compared it to wearing a red hat in a lot of ways. Um, uh, letting go, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so after all that became powerful shibboleth for the American left, letting go is proving very challenging. Hardline coronavirus policies did not just seem serious and scientific. They were weapons in the culture war against those right wingers who rejected even sensible precautions from the start. And he talks about some of the faults on the right, which undeniably existed. The whole, it's no worse than the flu crowd. You people were wrong. You're dead wrong. Anyway, uh, he talks about how, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to summarize. Trump is not in office and the coronavirus is, is a tremendous, almost entirely diminished threat and certainly will be within a month. But they have nothing to write on. Coronavirus was their issue. The stupid right wingers who want to kill their children. Teachers unions literally saying there will be child-sized coffins lined up outside the schools. That was an incredibly powerful, you know, electoral fundraising message. And so now they're stuck. They got no Trump. They got no coronavirus. So they're desperately trying to hold on to the masks on the poor little kids as if that's still a thing or necessary, and as if anybody who resists it is still a right-wing, knuckle-dragging thug who wants children dead. Because that's the only way to get people to the polls at this point. Tell me what the Democrats have if not that. So, I believe they're doubling down on a strategy which is suicide, electorally speaking. Again, look at Virginia and innumerable polls. You would have never been able to convince me all this politics was going to come out of the pandemic when it started almost exactly two years ago. No way. From the resisting various safe measures out of politics to the embracing it long after it's necessary, I would have never guessed. It just goes to show you. Um, you don't you don't know until until you experience them. I would have never thought we would have dug in politically around the pandemic, but man, did we? Yeah, yeah. Well, it became useful politically. It became an issue. So here's the number that I think it's handy for you to know. You hear a lot about vaccines for kids, and I know. Um, in, well, in the state of California, at least right now, it's going to be mandatory that you get your kid vaccinated for them to come back to school next year. I'll be interested to see if that sticks in California and other states around the country, because there are a lot of parents that don't want to do it. Proof is this. What percentage of kids 5 to 11 are fully vaccinated at this point? And that has been out for months. You've had plenty of opportunity. 
So it's this is merely a number of who wants to get it for their kids and who doesn't, because it's mm-hmm. not a lack of the option. 24% of kids ages 5 to 11 are fully vaccinated. A tiny minority. You hear this. The, you hear about vaccinations for kids reported as if every parent is breathlessly waiting for the opportunity. No, they aren't. Seventy-five percent have had the opportunity for their for their seven-year-old for months and have said no. Seventy-five percent have said no. Nah, I'm not doing it. So when the vaccine comes out for the younger kids, that number is going to be even higher. And oh, yeah. and schools are going to make that mandatory at a point where nobody around you is dying or getting sick next year. It's going to be mandatory to get a shot. So I, I hear the argument all the time. Your kids get lots of shots. Yeah, but not a flu shot. My kid, your kids don't have to get a flu shot to go to school. No, indeed. In fact, the uh, risk, the risk to children is remarkably like the flu at this point uh, from the COVID. And nobody has ever in the history of America suggested the kids mask up for flu. And I always think about the Bill Maher joke that he made when they approved the sh- the fourth dose. I guess some doctor needed a new boat. Um, it is worth pointing out, billions of dollars ride on these decisions. There's no way that that doesn't play into it. It'd be, it would defy all human nature to right. think that if you get a group of people, there's not somebody benefiting from the billions and billions and billions of dollars that immediately are going to change hands or be uh, contracted the second somebody signs off and says, okay, it's mandatory, all these people get a fourth dose, a fifth dose, the kids, whatever. And I must remind you that knee-jerk cynicism is as dumb as knee-jerk belief, okay? But having said that, when the powers that be have shredded their credibility, dug their credibility out of the little shredder basket, and run it through again, just to be sure, (laughs) how can you be anything but cynical? Sure, of course. Of course, you look around at the mask stuff, and there's no, there's nothing to back it up. So why should I believe you on the vaccine stuff? Yeah, I mean, for instance, there's not an overwhelmed hospital in the entire state of Cal Unicornia. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. There's still people getting sick. It's a shame. Still a handful dying, and that is a very sad thing. But there's nothing even close to an emergency in the entire most populous state in the union. And yet the legislature and the governor have summarily rejected the idea of ending the state of emergency. Not only... Have they shredded their capability once or twice? But they have absolutely displayed their their wanton desire to hold on to unwarranted powers way, way beyond any logical you know time to end them. So you combine those two things. How can you be anything but bitterly, angrily cynical? By the and, way, and as as we mentioned earlier, we are raising a generation of kids who will have utter contempt for authority because. You know what? You know how it is. Your kids and every parent knows this. You can say anything you want to your kids, but they watch how you live, and they've seen. By the way, Joe and I are both triple vaxxed, so, uh, and I I have a horse paste shake every morning before I come to work. That's just that's smart. <laughs> can you can you be? Can, is this too confusing for anybody? I'm triple vaxxed. I don't actually, the booster, eh, if I had to do it over again, I might not have, because it made me feel sick, and I don't think it was necessary. But anyway, um, uh, I'm vaccinated, but masks are stupid. Can you be in that ground? Are you allowed to have that? That's a confusing mixed message. I'm vaccinated. I think that was a good idea. The mask thing is stupid right now. It wasn't stupid earlier. I, I'm not sure it was stupid earlier, although some science says it might have been. Um, but it is now. It's just dumb, and there's no point in it. There's no point my kids are going to put on masks to go to school today. No point. Oh, no.
No, absolutely not. It is a shibboleth. It is a cult ritual, and that's it. And any school district in America that is forcing children to wear masks inside, you are fools and idiots and cruel. Those insisting kids still wear masks outside, which I recently became aware is still a thing. Oh, absolutely. You're psychotic. You can't step on the school grounds without a mask on. You're unfit for your jobs. You're psychotic. You should be immediately removed from your offices. And I will debate you on air or off any time. Psychotic. That's a funny charge. <laughs> well, I, I think I think there's something like mass delusion going on here. I, I don't know what it is. It's interesting. It's interesting psychology on some level. And if you have any comment on that, our text line four one five two nine five KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. More wrinkles in the story of um, uh, freezing people's bank accounts or ability to do to, to do banking uh, as a threat, as the modern world has decided that's the greatest weapon to wield. More on that coming up later. Yeah, indeed, and. Uh... Gosh, I'm trying to decide. I'm scanning. Uh, oh, I love this. This is a dopey little Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada. Clip number 21, Michael, please. Mr. Speaker, when did the Prime Minister lose his way? When did it happen? Right, Honorable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, Conservative Party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave uh, the Confederate flag. We will choose to stand with Canadians who deserve to be able to get to their jobs, who be able to get their lives back. These illegal protests need to stop, and they will, Mr. Speaker. Well, wow. On, on one hand, I guess it's comforting to know we're not the only country that does that, but it's not good for the world. Great, Scott. So these protesters are about vax mandates. They're... They're racists, is what right. they are. They're not racists. That's that's what it is. Absolutely, yeah, unbelievable. So uh, you may have heard that uh, various hackers hacked into the trucker protests' ability to get their money, and um, and that uh, go, what is it? Uh, go fund go, or what's it? Uh, to some of the pay fund go. I can't. I can never remember mm-hmm. the name of that alternate to go fund me. Um, but somebody hacked into them. Uh, to jerk them around for supporting the uh, uh, the protesters, and that was portrayed on mainstream media as people just they don't want to have support for these Nazis. Blah blah blah. Let's meet the young man who did the hacking. Uh, clip number ninety, Michael. <laughs> Nothing scares me. Nothing. Yes, I doxed the truckers. I did it. It was me. I hacked Gibson Go, baby, and I do it again. I do it a hundred times. I did it! I did it! Come at me! What are you going to do? What are you going to do to me, huh? That's Aubrey Cottle. He of the pink hair and obvious other other odd affectations. He actually, uh, cl- he actually sounds like me when I get worked up. <laughs> Clip number 91, Michael. I hacked Epic Hosting! I hacked Parlor! I hacked Gab! I hacked Truth Social! I hacked Go... Gibson, go! I don't care! Wow. 
Wow. Confessing to a number of crimes there, which I'm sure the authorities will be interested in. And finally, uh, the next one, Michael. I'm, you can literally put my name into the news tab on Google, and you can find everything I've done. I am literally in every mainstream media publication for the things that I do. I'm not an unknown actor. I'm literally a famous cyber terrorist. And you think that you could scare me? Okay, so that's who's hacking into the uh, the funding site to make sure those Nazi swastika-waving truckers don't get their Nazi ability to make a living. Okay. I did it! It was me! Okay. <laughs> did you know 90% of the truckers are vaccinated? So why Trudeau's drew, decided to draw a line in the sand over this, I don't know. Right, right. And what was a righteous and calm and rather cheerful movement? Yeah, obviously, it's uh, anytime there's a crowd and a bunch of attention, extremists and nut jobs launch on, and then it is oh so easy for a halfwit like Trudeau to pretend that those latchers on are the core of the movement when it's ugly and it's stupid. Reminds me of that great saying, Jack, you brought to the show that uh, tell me which way the people are going, and I will get in front of them for I am their leader. <laughs> right. um, the extremist groups do that too all the time. Yeah. Huh. Be interesting to see how this plays out over time. Got some more on the whole uh, being able to deplatform you on banking that they're trying to do up in Canada. Also, what's happening with Russia and Ukraine? A lot's happening in the last hour. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm damn happy to be standing up here with you guys celebrating this Come on. Let's go, y'all. I'm going to bring a little Southern hospitality to this. I appreciate y'all so much. You guys have been unbelievable. Unbelievable all year. And you know what? We appreciate you. So in the middle of that Matthew Stafford spiel, the quarterback of the L.A. Rams at the big Super Bowl parade yesterday, there was a bit of a Eminem national pressure. <laughs> uh, I don't know what he said, but we, but he's not a, you know, uh, senile. He was drunk. He was drunk. And in the American tradition of cl- athletes who are normally so closely guarded all the time with everything they do or say because their brand is so important and worth so much money, if they win a championship, they go ahead and get freaking hammered, drunk, and stumble around and slur. Which I'm in favor of. Which doesn't bother me, but uh, it's just kind of funny. Do we have the drunk Aaron Donald? Like I said, I've been drinking a little bit, so... <laughs> so, we were a champion! Maggie from Burbank writes, I live and work in L.A. County. Would have loved to have gone to the Rams parade. I did not go because it wasn't uh, because I had so many other fun things to do. It was because it was held in the ghetto and I wasn't going to risk my life to see a parade. The ghetto. (laughs) In the ghetto. So I think something is about to happen with the whole Russia-Ukraine thing. Got a whole bunch of headlines in just the last hour. Russia has expelled the deputy U.S. ambassador, the State Department announced, from uh, from the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, embassy? From the embassy. Uh, and what U.S. officials called an escalatory 
misstep, so they kicked out our ambassador. Uh, Biden just warned Russia in the last half an hour, or just warned that Russia is on the brink of invading U- Ukraine. I don't know what internal information he's getting. And Russia, uh, about 45 minutes ago, accused Ukraine's military of committing crimes against residents of the Donbass region in a report no. filed to the U.N. There it is. So all three of those things happening, Russia saying, oh, they're, they're, they're committing crimes against Russians in Ukraine. They filed an official report to the U.N. on that and kicked our ambassador out. And Biden saying it's coming any moment now. So I think it might actually be happening. I still say Sunday night after the Olympics are done, uh, maybe Monday, but we'll see. Just as a fair uh, a, a favor to Winnie the Pooh, Chairman Speaking Xi. Speaking of Winnie the Pooh, interesting article in the Wall Street Journal today. Beijing weighing how far to go and backing Putin on Ukraine. Behind closed doors, China's top leaders have debated how to respond to the Russia-Ukraine crisis without hurting China's own interests. And according to this reporting from Ling Ling Wei in the Wall Street Journal, she says she has sources. The um, because you see, um, uh, it's the Communist Party thing is weird. I mean, it is it is a dictatorship in some sense, but in a lot of sense, it's more like mob movies you've seen. You know, where the all the mob guys get together and sit down. There's a boss, like there's usually kind of a main guy. But the other families aren't always happy with the main guy. And sometimes if they they get unhappy enough with the main guy, they kill him or replace him with a different guy. And that happens in these communist systems, too. Or the main guy kills them first. <laughs> that can happen, too. But China's top leaders have spent days weighing how far Beijing should go to back Putin and how to manage a partnership many call a marriage of convenience as opposed to one of conviction. Oh, absolutely true, yeah. With the threat of a Russian invasion of Ukraine looming, China's final arbiter of power, the seven-member Politburo Standing Committee, the mob bosses I was just talking about, um, they've largely disappeared from public view. Behind closed doors, according to people with knowledge of the matter, one topic of intense discussion is how to respond to the Russian-Ukraine crisis and back Moscow without hurting their own financial interests. Here's uh, Here's where the rubber meets the road. At the beginning of the Olympics, Putin and she got together and released a statement saying they're arm in arm and hand in hand and all that sort of stuff. And that she said they uh, that China is also against expansion of NATO. Mr. Xi's endorsement of Russia's opposition to any expansion by NATO marked China's most explicit support to date of the Kremlin in a confrontation. But they've been careful not to greenlight Russia's possible invasion of Ukraine. They're trying to decide whether or not they want to be the off-ramp for the sanctions. If Russia invades Ukraine, we and the rest of the world have announced these punishing, punishing sanctions. Russia seems to be hoping that China will bail them out. So the number two economy in the world says, sanctions, sanctions. You, we got your back. Mm-hmm. Or do they? Because according to this article... The uh, the the high ups in the Communist Party are saying, do we want to go that far? Do we want to just fully break with the rest of the world and be the bank for bad guys? Is that the image we want? And that's what they're debating behind closed doors. Interesting. Yeah, especially because and and we could get into this maybe a little bit later on. I've got some great stuff on how how racist a, a nation and a culture China is. How they are absolutely convinced that the Han Chinese people are the master race. And they're open about it. 
So they're not going to throw down with the inferior, you know, Russian people and really take risks for them. Well, they're going to it's make, a marriage of convenience. Yeah, well, they're going to make this decision purely uh, on what's best for them, power e- economy wise. It's not because they're concerned about Russians, um, obviously, but. Uh, it would be something if China goes ahead and and crosses that line and just says, "Okay, world sanctions don't matter anymore because you can always come to us." That's a that's a major change in the planet. <laughs> There's no more the United States putting together a coalition of the willing and threatening various countries with these tough economic sanctions that will ruin your country. That's over. If China decides, no, we'll back the bad guys. Hmm. I wonder if they're that bold. I wonder, too. I guess we'll find out. Uh, more on the racism in China and how, how powerful is she, really? Uh, but for first, a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe Home Security. Man, there's so much crime these days. It's crazy. And if you've ever wanted to know what's happening at home when you're not there, you got to look into the new wireless outdoor camera from Simply Safe. Lets you see what's happening outside right from your phone and alerts you when anyone approaches. So you always know who's there. So you don't have to watch your phone constantly. It'll tell you, hey, somebody's approaching your front door. Polls show the vast majority of Americans feel crime is up. You know why that is? Because crime is up. Ah. And having a security system, if you didn't need to before, maybe you do now. And why not? You can afford it. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day. You set it up yourself in around 30 minutes. There are no long-term contracts. They've won all kinds of awards against much more expensive, much more complicated, much more contract-laden systems out there. Simply Safe is the way to go. And it's customizable to you and your home. Customize the perfect system at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Go today, claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Buddy of mine texted me from what he said is the least diverse city in America. He texted hmm. me last night, and uh, I haven't Googled it to look, confirm it, but that's what Wikipedia said, he said. And... Um, uh, tell you what that is coming up, but um, kind of fits into your China story. We are other countries don't do what we're doing. We get blamed for being racist all the time, mostly by you know white U.S. graduate student liberals. Um, but look at other countries; they're they're monochromatic in many cases and very racist in others. Oh yeah, absolutely true. And you've got information on China? I do indeed. It's shocking. It will shock you. I've never heard this before. Stand by to be shocked. Oh, yeah, it's it's quite striking. So uh, we can do that next if you want. Okay. Either way. You know what the least diverse city is in America, according I to Wikipedia? I was hoping you were going to tell us. Um, White Plains, New York. Ah, interesting. Blacksburg, Kentucky. Okay. Interesting <laughs> your first response. I was just trying to make an idiotic joke. <laughs> well, but that, but that was my first thought. Some really white place, like you're in Vermont or something like that. Nope. Um, it's uh, Laredo, Texas, 95% Hispanic, according to Wikipedia, the least diverse city in America. Said he was there the whole day, did not see a, a white person. Um, and uh, Need affirmative action. My only, my only point on that would be, does that, is that get condemned for not being diverse by anybody? Oh, because it's somebody other than white people? Um. Like, is that seen as uncool, that everybody's the same? Or a generation from now, that town, if all your tacos, if a whole bunch of people came in from somewhere else and your taco stands got replaced with hamburger stands, would you say, yay, that's awesome. Thank goodness, some diversity. diversity. 
Yes. Or would you say, no, I like the way things were before, the way all human beings react? 35% of the town now doesn't speak the same language as us. This is wonderful, says nobody ever in real life. Right. Just trying to acknowledge human nature on that point. Uh, we have much more on the way. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm not smart enough to understand this John Durham Trump Russia story. Um, and I haven't spent enough time looking into it. But the coverage of it, that I get because I'm in media. Uh, and the coverage or lack thereof. I understand that part of it. And uh, more on that maybe in hour three. Beautiful. Beautiful. I know there's breaking financial news. Isn't oh, yeah. There? Um, mortgage rates up to 4% for the first time in several years, which is a big deal, but wasn't many years ago. If mortgage rates had hit 4%, people would have been running for the opportunity to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Or been, refinancing like fiends. Oh, yeah. yeah, refinancing the one you're currently in because historically low, but now it's seen as high. Hey, I just happen to be rereading a uh, a little history of uh, of Paul Volcker, who was the chairman of the Fed during the uh, Carter and Reagan years. I can't remember exactly when he took office, but the rampant inflation of uh, inflation of the seventies uh, and it lasted until the early eighties. He's credited with crushing it, but he crushed it by raising rates aggressively and crushing economic growth and driving uh, unemployment up to like eleven percent. Oof. And it worked, but it was extremely painful. The American economy shrunk, I think, in 81 and 82 or 80, 81, something like that. Don't call me on the specifics, but I was reminded that, yes, there are tools to rein in inflation, but they're uh, painful, uncomfortable. How did anybody buy a house when it was 18% interest? How did anybody buy a house? My parents did, but... That's part of the reason most of us grew up in very modest houses. You bought a small, modest house. That's how you did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, total change of topic. Uh, I found this very, very interesting. Uh, This article is so thorough. It goes into the history of why this report exists, who commissioned it, etc. We don't really have time for it. Um, But during the time of the Obama administration's pivot to Asia... This longtime advisor to presidents commissioned a 254-page, as it turns out, report on how America should expose and exploit China's deep-seated racism. This was all about global PR, especially in Africa. How can we understand the Chinese system, its flaws, and explain those to other countries around the world as we compete for influence, especially, again, in the developing world? 254-page report. It cost American taxpayers $262,000 to produce, okay? More than a quarter of a million dollars. The author's name is blacked out. It's redacted, but it's likely this political scientist at the University of Texas, according to this author I'm reading now. But... Whoever wrote it, the Pentagon's analysis argues that throughout Chinese history, and I quote, China sees itself as the center of the universe. All others are inferior with varying degrees of inferiority. That is not an attractive model of winning allies and influence. Would that square with what you've read about China and Chinese history? Absolutely. Then this uh, commentator says, on the other hand, who needs friends when you have family? There are, as the document emphasizes, over a billion intelligent, industrious, and close-knit Han Chinese. 
Still, the Chinese are not subtle about their sense of racial and cultural superiority, quoting from the report. Other people in groups are seen to be inferior. With a Wait sliding... a second. Only white Americans can be racist. You're throwing around this term about other groups. I don't understand. I know. This is so shocking if you bought the idiotic and, and just impossible to believe line of America's progressives. Anyway, other peoples and groups are seen to be inferior with a sliding scale of inferiority. The major Chinese distinction is between degrees of barbarians, the black devils, the savage inferiors beyond hope of interaction, and the white devils or tame barbarians with whom the Chinese can interact. Lamentably, modern Chinese views on race are no better than they were in the past. The author contends, quote, First, virulent racism and eugenics heavily inform Chinese perceptions of the world. United States decision makers must recognize that China is a racist state, much closer to Nazi Germany than to the values upheld in the West. The Chinese are comfortable using race to explain events and appealing to racist stereotypes to advance their interests. Most insidious is the Chinese belief that Africans in particular need Chinese leadership. Worse, most often, the Chinese do not even recognize their racism as a problem. The Chinese are never going to go through a civil rights movement like the United States. Um, in fact, the Chinese, far from understanding that diversity is our strength to the Chinese, and I quote again, the United States used to be a strong society that the Chinese respected when it was unicultural, defined by the centrality of Anglo-Protestant culture at the core of Afri- American national identity, aligned with the political ideology of liberalism, the rule of law, and free market capitalism. The Chinese see multi- multiculturalism as a sickness that has overtaken the United States and a component of U.S. decline. Well, I agree with the multiculturalism part. Um, uh, but that doesn't have to apply to skin color, obviously. No, multiracial is fine. Multi-religious is fine. Multi-cuisines is great. It's wonderful. But the idea that you could either love the United States or hate the United States or not give a damn about the United States and be a good American because diversity is our strength, that's insane. But I'm not reading these things because they're what I believe they're, they're attitudes in China. The Chinese will make appeals to third world states based on racial solidarity. That is the need of non-white peoples to unite against Western imperialism and racism. The essence of the Chinese message to third world states is a straightforward rhetorical query. Uh, has the United States or the Europeans ever treated you as equals? In contrast, China portrays itself as an apolitical rising superpower that does business in your country, pays a fair price for your commodities, and builds your infrastructure with no strings attached. So anyway, and, and we're running out of time here, but the author of this report says, listen, we've got to make it clear to the, the developing world, especially how brutally racist Chinese society is. Yeah, that's interesting. And... um one of the reasons we don't know about that, I will, I will freely admit that I and uh, uh, you know, and Western culture in general have ignored Eastern history for so long. I Absolutely, mean, how true. much Western civ did I take? And it was all interesting at all levels of schooling, even through, through college, whatever. But I never took any classes on uh, you know the whole other side of the planet and. China and all the countries around there have every bit as interesting. How, how much have I read or heard about the Thirty Years' War, or the Crusades? All those sorts of things mm-hmm. happened with China and Japan and India, but I didn't learn anything about it. And if we knew more about the world history on that part of the world, we'd be more aware of these cultural, historic norms and uh, and, and, and 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 factor them into our decisions. Right. 
One more thing, really short in the time we have. Uh, again, I'm not, we're not advocating this. It's just from the report, and I think it's interesting. Uh, uh, the government paid a quarter million dollars for this. United States defense decision makers must recognize that racism is a cohesive force for the Chinese. As lamentable as it is, Chinese racism helps to make the Chinese a formidable adversary. There are three critical consequences that result from this. The first is the sense of unity the Chinese possess. And why they subjugate the Uyghurs, for instance, because they're not Han Chinese. Second, it allows the Chinese to have a strong sense of identity, which in turn permits them to weather adversity and to be focused and secure in confidence that the rest of the nation is with them. Third, China is not plagued by self-doubt or guilt about its past. And again, I'm not trying to make any larger point. Oh, they're better off. or We should do the same. No, absolutely not. Know thy enemy. It's an interesting aspect of Chinese culture. And, of course, from a, from a U.S. perspective, they, we look at uh, racism as anti-Asian racism. But the racism that has existed between China and Japan, for instance, is as violent as anything that's ever happened on the planet. Right. They see themselves as completely different and are willing to slaughter each other in the past over that. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's a good thing to know. Um what did I tease? Oh, well, I, I think it is going to become more popular to deplatform people from their banking. You won't be able to participate in the economy anymore if you got the wrong politics. I think that is coming. Armstrong and Getty.